and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I want you all to stand to your feet and make some noise for Mike Dow. We love you, brother. Come on, sit down, sit down. Right. Man, that worship set was bananas. <laughs> um, sense a lot of hunger in the room. I'm excited tonight for those of us who are in a moment of intersection. Um, a pivotal moment where the Lord is going to touch you. I don't say that to be some kind of cheerleader because I can't do it. <laughs> it's not me. If he doesn't touch you, it's not going to last. It can't just be some emotionalism. It can't just be like the high you get off of attending an event or things of this nature. Uh, we want something that's lasting, something that's transformative, something that's fruit uh, unto his purpose. Um, but I really sense that there's hunger in the room. I was drawn even during worship to, we're going to get to some things that, that I feel like I have some things on my heart for you, uh, but I felt in worship drawn towards Matthew 9 and Mark 5 and Luke 8, and there, there's a story there, many of you are probably familiar, it's the woman with the issue of blood, and there's a massive crowd around Jesus, and, and some of them are, they're close by way of invitation, and they have an intimate proximity to him, and as they're traversing, they're going Right? The, the crowd is pressed up against him, and he turns to them, and he says, who touched me? Right? And it's funny, because in Mark 5, it, it says that Peter responds, and he's like, bro, like, what are you talking about, man? Like, like look at the crowd, dude. Like, everybody's here. Like, wh- who's not touching you? Kind of thing. What's interesting is when you get into Luke 8, it says that they began immediately denying it. Um, You see, but the question is not because they have information that Jesus needs, right? We we have to be aware that when he asks us questions, it's not because we're going to fill him in, right? The question is not for information's sake. The question is actually an indictment. You see, there were those that were around him that were touching him because their circumstances put pressure on them, and they had to rub up against him. But he says, there's somebody who touched me, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. He said, I know that because something came out of me. Power has been issued out of me. You see, I I believe that if somebody's here tonight, then you want to touch him. Um, You see, are you cultivating what you've been given access to? Right? Proximity doesn't always represent intentionality. Right? We can be close in proximity but have zero intentionality, and therefore we're not cultivating the things that we've been granted access to. He said, you are near me, but you're not getting anything from me. There's someone here that touched me because they wanted to touch me, and I know that because something has come out of me, and they've received something, and the rest of you are not. So it's not only to get yourself into the right place or even around the right person, but I pray that there's a hunger that there's a longing, that there's an ache tonight in your heart, 
that says, Lord, don't pass me by. Lord, here I am. If you're going to touch anybody tonight, touch me. I realize there may be something for everybody, but I want there to be something for me because I'm hungry for you tonight. Um, and I believe that if you have an ounce of hunger in your heart, man, like a tank of gas on a burning heart tonight, I pray that the Holy Ghost would just annihilate you. That the Holy Ghost would just annihilate you and you'd never be the same. Um, I'm excited to be invited to the party. My wife is here because we are close to home. The one and only Anna Dow. It's amazing to see so many familiar faces. Uh, it's actually crazy. Um, I got born again right up the road here. Um, out here in Plant City. Yes. Um, I also have two of my brothers that are with me, Stephen and Frankie. I love these guys with all of my heart. Um, they, they made the ride with us. I'm talking about coming out of a, a few weeks of fasting and praying. Um, I brought some stuff with me. Uh, I actually have the fasting one, volume two, and the prayer book. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even got there yet, but it's coming. Um, I'm going to encourage you. That just, just a quick note on this. This came out December of 2019. Right? December of 2019. The book is just called Prayer because that's what it's about. It's about prayer. I'm not trying to trick you with the title. Um, but the subtitle is Being Diligent to Enter into His Rest. Not realizing what 2020 would look like. And that we would have to be able to anchor our lives deeply into Jesus and not our circumstances. That we would have to find the well of life not in our politics, not in our health advisory board, not in our economy structure. But not realizing that we would need in the body a fresh infusion, if you would. An injection, since we're talking about vaccines. An injection, if you would, of the purposes of God unto finding rest in Jesus. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Um, this right here in these three books is 650 pages, I believe, um, that I believe will change your life. I'm going to give it to my sister in the back because uh, she was already going for it before I even got there. All right. If y'all are ready, open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Uh, as you're doing that, Pastor Gio and Destiny, thank you. Thank you. We're honored to be here. Um, there's something special happening here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're going to get into that a little bit. Daniel chapter 12, we're going to look at the final verse in the book of Daniel chapter 12, which actually closes the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is 12 chapters. If it's closing it, then that's the final chapter. The final verse, and we're going to look at a prophetic word that Daniel receives. <laughs> Maybe not one that, that most of us sitting here tonight would be excited about, but we're going to look at a word that Daniel receives out of an encounter that he had. The encounter starts in chapter 11, and it spills over, if you would, through chapter 11 and chapter 12. Daniel's life is one that is flooded with divine encounter. Daniel is an intercessor who has a powerful 
life in the secret place. When you look at Daniel's life, he's not a public preacher. He's not a politician. He's not some traveling minister. He has none of these credentials. But what he does have is a vibrant life in prayer. Much of Daniel's public life is being informed by what is happening in his private life of devotion. And we are living in days where if we don't know the Lord for ourselves, we are going to get caught up in the current of chaos that our culture is attempting to create. These are days to dig a well and to dig it deep with Jesus. You can't piggyback someone else's devotion. You can't delegate your secret place. You can't substitute the voice of God in your life because there will be many things that you will want to be God that if you really knew God, you would find out that he's not like you and he's not necessarily trying to compromise who he is in order to fit himself into the God that you want rather than revealing himself as he is. Um, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. We need to continually be reminded that he is not like us, nor is he going to be manipulated by our devotional efforts in order to get him to be the God that we want. Um, Habakkuk is surveying the land and he says, man, like, oh, this is bad. Like, this is crazy. Like, what is happening he says, Lord, we, we continue to cry out injustice, injustice, right? This is Habakkuk chapter one, injustice, injustice. Like, where are you? Because when I look at what's happening in life, it's hard for me to fit you in. It's hard for me to reconcile all the brokenness, all the corruption, all of the tyranny of sin, powers, principalities, the advancement of the enemy and darkness and agendas and narratives. And Habakkuk says, man, as long as I'm looking at this, things are not looking good. He said, but I know what to do. He says, I'm going to climb up on my watchtower and I'm going to settle in. I love that translation. I'm going to settle in and I'm going to wait to see what it is that he will say. And as he's there tarrying, the Lord speaks to him and he tells him something that's actually incredibly profound. He says, if I told you what it was that I was doing, you wouldn't actually have room. You wouldn't have capacity to believe that what I was doing is what I'm actually doing. Because you at times have a different idea of who it is that I am based off of your preference of who your culture wants me to be the lens or the deceptiveness of your own flesh at times wants me to be. If I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't even believe it. He said, but I'm going to tell you anyways. And Daniel gets a word at the end of chapter 12 that is bananas, but we're going to share it anyways. Again, he's wrapped up in this wild encounter. And the last verse of the book of Daniel says this. Again, this is Gabriel talking to Daniel. We know that it's in the time period where Darius is king. We know that because the beginning of chapter 11 that begins the encounter tells us that it was during the time period of Darius, which we understand that at this point, Daniel has been in exile for decades. This isn't like an emotional high. This isn't an overnight success. Daniel has been there since he's been a teenager. In chapter 6, when they put him into the lion's den, most believe that he's in his 90s. We're talking decades of faithfulness in a corrupt culture. We're talking decades of faithfulness in a hostile environment. We're not talking about some flash in the pan dude on Facebook 
prophesying, reading mail, leading with a cash app, and then two weeks from now, he's missing. Daniel has been there for decades. And it's in the time period of Darius as king, which we know chronologically fits into chapter 6, but this is towards the tail end of the book. You have to understand the way Daniel is set up in order to fit things where they go. Gabriel says this. He says, Daniel, be faithful until the end because you're going to die. He says, but don't worry. God's going to be faithful to you. And he's going to raise you from the dead. And you're going to enter into your reward at the end of the age. Who wants this word? <laughs> he says, Daniel, it's going to be important that I tell you now. You see, because when you understand what's about to happen to Daniel, he's about to be put into the lion's den. So this is the encounter that comes prior, the moment where the pressure hits him because of his loving devotion to a king that he will not turn from. He will not abandon. And Gabriel tells him, be faithful until the end. Paul said, I ran my race and I finished it. We don't want to run two laps. I'm not interested in running three laps. If the race is four laps, I want all the laps. Paul didn't say, I got close to the end, and then I bowed out. He didn't say, man, I almost made it, but then the pressure really hit me. He didn't say, man, like I had it good for a little while, and then I ended up in compromise. He said, I ran my whole race. And Gabriel tells Daniel, finish well. Continue on. Keep going. Go all the way. Because as a matter of fact, you are going to die. But the motivation is not some fear-mongering message to hover over him the penalty of death so that he becomes crippled or so that he becomes paralyzed by the thought of the sting of what used to be considered the ultimate enemy that is death. He's not motivating him in a fear-filled way because understand, fear and faith are both incredible motivators. But he's not motivating him with fear. He's actually pumping him with faith. To understand that this life is not all that there is. That in an immediate sense, there's going to be pressure. In an immediate sense, there's going to be trials. In an immediate sense, there's going to be consequences. Because what God is doing in you, Daniel, at some point is not going to be compatible with the culture around you. And there are going to be real consequences because you love him and you're desiring to love him well. Because we understand when we look at chapter 6 that Daniel didn't just get to love Jesus in private. Well, you don't understand. I'm a Christian when I'm home. But bro, I got to do what I got to do when I'm at work. Like, man, you don't understand. Like I, like, I can love Jesus in my heart when I'm all by myself. But man, like when everybody else is around, like, bro, you, you don't really expect me to kind of live this thing out loud, do you? You see, what we understand is in Daniel chapter 6, it says that the government actually created an ordinance. Darius's minions in his governmental structure were investigating Daniel's life. And they could not find anything against him. He had an excellent spirit. He was faithful. He was loyal. He was integrous. There was a man that 
in him dwelled the spirit of the gods. He could unveil mysteries and secrets and all types of riddles and dreams and visions. Daniel was being investigated. And it says that the only thing that they could find as a way to get him was to outlaw his devotional life. And they rallied up next to Darius and they said, why don't we do this? Why don't you outlaw prayer? We're going to make it illegal for everybody to pray because in reality, we want to stop one man from praying. (laughs) I wonder who's on the radar, if anybody. Um, Has your prayer life got hell's attention? Um, All of Darius's minions were evaluating Daniel's life and they found against him his devotional life. They wanted to outlaw prayer culturally to stop one man from praying because of his devotional obedience to his God that he loved. And they wrote an ordinance. Anybody familiar with ordinances and injunctions and all types of governmental statutes? And the government determined that nobody could pray. And it says that Daniel caught notice. And what did Daniel do? It says when he heard that they had signed it into law, Okay, I'm going to take it to the house. And I'm going to open the window up. And just like I've been doing. But you see, the, the point is he didn't start doing something in response to crisis. <laughs> he said, as I've been doing, right? His devotion wasn't in case of emergency, break glass. Oh, now I've got to pray. Oh, now I've got to fast. Oh, now I need to dust my Bible off. Oh, now I need someone who's close to God to give me a prophetic word. No, he says, as I've been doing, I'm taking it to the house. Because you can make it illegal culturally, but you'll never get me to compromise what's in my heart. You see, we're living in days where the consequences of loving Jesus and loving him well are about to come to our front door. And if we don't actually know the Lord, we will not be ready for the pain and the pressure of our devotion to Jesus as king and living in covenant loyalty to him, not bowing to the pressure of culture, not surrendering all of our obedience to God because of who may be in office. As a matter of fact, I don't really care who's in office because we all know who's on the throne. And I know that some of us are upset because Jesus is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat either. And I've got a prophetic word for you for politics. He's like, oh, snap. Like, Man, we've seen a lot about this on Facebook over the last month. He's like, you sure? You've been tearing people to shreds over prophetic words about politics. Jesus is not right or left. He's above. He's above. And there are no votes for his establishment. And there is no coup to get him out. He's seated. He's enthroned. He's at rest. His kingdom is unending. His dominion is eternal. His judgments are righteous and pure. He is filled with mercy and with love and full of justice And this word is going to come to pass. He will come again. And this is the motivation for Daniel. 
The understanding is that I'm not living for things that are immediate, but I'm living for things that are ultimate. Because when I'm living for things that are immediate, my temptation is going to be to bow to the pressure for the reward of self-preservation. For the reward of self-preservation. But these are the people that Jesus talked about in Matthew 16. Right? He says, if any man would come, let him first deny himself. Like, man, first? Like, bro, we're trying to work on that a little bit. Like, let him pick up his cross. Let him follow after me. So because what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? Because there are going to be those that are going to try to protect and preserve. They're going to try to protect and preserve. Because the fullness of their vision, it's, it's a prisoner to the immediacy of life. Not realizing that there is much more on the other side of our last breath than we will ever experience during the time when God has given us these breaths to be alive here and now. Daniel is being motivated with a vision of the age to come. He says, don't worry because you are going to die. It is appointed unto every man a time to die. There is coming a moment where on the other side of death, because we are all going to face death. On the other side of death, we will be more alive than we ever knew that alive could be possible. And Gabriel is talking to Daniel and he tells him, don't worry about all of the immediate stuff. Don't worry about the pain. Don't worry about the consequences. Don't worry. Just love him well. See it through. Be faithful till the end because I'm telling you, if you're faithful to him, God is going to be faithful to you and you will rise at the end of the age. At the end of the age, when time comes to an end. Because there is coming a time when time will come to an end. We would call that the consummation of the age. We would call that the sign of his appearing. You do understand Jesus said it this way. Preach the gospel of the kingdom into all creation and then the end will come. Why will the end not come until the gospel of the kingdom? Now mind that. The gospel of the kingdom. Not the American gospel. Not your version of the gospel. But the gospel of the kingdom. Because there are real implications to the return of Jesus. And he understands. Peter tells us, don't think that God is disinterested or uninvolved. Just don't think that he's slow as you would consider time to be. But as a matter of fact, God is being patient. And he's being patient because he has a desire. And his desire is that none would perish, but that all would come unto repentance. Jesus understands the implications of his second coming and time coming to an end. What do you mean time coming to an end? It is beyond our human finite mind and our limited ability to comprehend. On the other side of our final breath exists something that has always been, will always be from forever past to forever future. God has been there forever all along. The uncreated one, the eternal king whose righteousness is beyond our mirror right now though we see dimly on the other side of our final breath we will be brought face to face with Jesus. 
And Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. There's coming a day where every man is going to have to face the judgment seat of Christ. Every man. Every good man, every wicked man. Every rich man, every poor man. Every famous man, every unknown man. Every man is going to have to face the judgment seat of Christ. And in this moment, all of the deeds done while we had time in the flesh. Because right now we have time. We live in time. Our lives are governed by time. And we have time to fulfill God's purposes until his ultimate purpose, which is the preparation of a people, a bride that he will present to the son that he loves, that marriage supper of the lamb, Revelation 19:7 moment, the moment that all of our lives are being readied for, that moment that we long, that we groan, that we ache deeply, that right now because we realize, man, like Stuff in the world is broken. Stuff in the world is not right. Stuff in the world is not the way that God desires. We're wrestling right now because of the tension of having full access to God, but not living in the fullness of everything that we know is coming. But on the other side of time, we will be judged for what we did while we had time. And Jesus understands that there's coming a time when time will no longer be. Time is something that God created. And so time is subject to God. He is not subject to time because he is eternal. And so time is subject to God, which means that time is a tool that is fulfilling God's purposes. And what is the tool of time actually fulfilling? God desires a family. God desires a bride for his son. God desires to bring a people, the harvesting of every tribe, nation, and tongue unto the inheritance for the blood that his son purchased for this people. That great heavenly throne vision in Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9 of a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping this worthy one, worshiping this worthy one, this King of kings and Lord of lords. But God is using time in order to ready a people to live forever alongside of his son. Time actually has a very specific purpose. Because God created time. As an environment, if you would. In order to create a people, prepare a people, so that he could ultimately glorify a people to be eternal humans on the other side of death and rule alongside of his son forever. <laughs> you have to understand that there is a real work that is happening in you right now. Second Corinthians 5, 5 tells us we've received the Holy Spirit as a down deposit, as a pledge of the fullness of the promise of what is to come. And because we have this down payment, because we have this deposit, Paul says that while we are living, while we have time in this fleshly, earthly tent, that we are possessed, we are gripped on the inside with a groan. 
And he says that this groan is actually the expression. It's the demonstration that makes real everything that we know we've been promised that hasn't actually materialized yet the way that God has said it. But we're not the only ones that are groaning. Romans 8 tells us that all of creation is groaning. But all of creation is groaning because it's been subject to futility and the tyranny of sin. And it is longing for the fullness of its salvation. It is longing for the moment when the Son of Man returns and he brings the entire universe subject to his Father's righteousness. And the obedience of the Son will be the reconciling of all things into himself as the rightful king and ruler. But all of creation is groaning. And Paul there again in Romans 8 says, but not only creation, but we too. We're groaning because we know that we're here now. We are prisoners of this immediate little bubble called time. But there's a groan on the inside that bears witness that there's so much more than this. He says it's not just a groan like the rest of the world is groaning. You see, our our culture is groaning, but we're not groaning the same way that the culture is groaning. We're groaning according to Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 5 because Paul says that we realize that what we're living in right now is not what we're going to be living in forever. He says that we're longing to put on the fullness of immortality. We're longing to put on the fullness of the resurrection body. We're longing to put on the fullness of everything that God has promised. And though right now we are experiencing in a limited way because we are right now planted in the midst of something that is passing. planted in the midst of something that is passing. And it's important for us to understand that we are planted here, but we ultimately don't belong here. We want to be faithful here, right? This isn't like the Thessalonians, so everybody can just check out. People are going to stop working. We're just going to, you know, hang out and wait for Jesus to crack the skies this afternoon. No, Paul had to correct that on the opposite side because the pendulum tends to swing both ways in radical ways. But we're planted here, though we realize that we're here now, but we belong to the future. We're here now, but we belong to the future. What, What do I mean? We belong to the future because God has shared himself with us by way of putting his spirit on the inside of us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And right now, the work that is happening in you by way of God sharing his power and life with you. He has taken up residency on the inside of you and that work is unto a purpose. And that purpose is to prepare you to live forever in the presence of Jesus. You have not received the Holy Ghost for your own pleasure, but it is unto God's purpose. And that purpose is to ready you to rule alongside of his son. Paul told the, first, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, right? He's trying to settle the little dispute. They ended up in court. He's like, man, like, what's wrong with y'all? Like, you, not only can you not get along, but you're suing each other. Like, are you serious? He says, don't you know that there's coming a time where you're going to rule alongside of Jesus, where you're going to bring judgment to angels and to nations? 
He says, don't you realize that there's a work happening in you right now that is readying you not to integrate your life into the world around you to be a better buddy Christian. Our goal and the work of the Spirit is not to make us more acceptable to the culture. The work of the Spirit is not to make your life any less aggravating to the system of the world around you. The work of the Spirit is not trying to temper you so that culture and worldly kings and rulers can approve of your life as you live it well in loving loyalty to Jesus. But we have to understand that we are a spirit people, and by way of a spirit people, we are no longer what we used to be, right? These are things that we preach, we pray, we amen, we shout people down when they say stuff like that, but this is what that means. If any man is in Christ, old things have passed. It's a picture of the two ages. It's a picture of the two covenants. It's a picture of the two mountains. It's a picture of the two children born to Abraham, one of the flesh and one by the spirit and way of promise. If any man is in Christ, old things have passed. There's coming a time where everything that is attached to this world and its system that's been born out of flesh and lust and the cravings for power and the wielding of powers and principalities, it's all going to pass. Old things have passed and all things have become new. Because that man is a new creation. He's a new creature. He's a new version of humanity. He's a new version of humanity. He's a new creature. You are a new creation if God has put his spirit in you. You are a new creation. You are a new creature. You are not the same thing that you used to be. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God, which means, hey, listen, I actually used to be something and I'm not that anymore. I'm not just trying to fake it till I make it. I'm not just trying to hide all of my issues. I'm not trying to rally the Holy Ghost so that I can suppress all the stuff that I don't like. He says, I am what I am, but it's not by my own fleshly wisdom or intellect. It's not by the world's mechanics and it's structures. I am what I am, but what I am is by the grace of God. And I am a new creation. And God is readying me, conforming me to the image of his son so that I can rule with Jesus forever. You see, we have to understand that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. Now, now, now what What exactly does that mean? Because what that doesn't mean is, hey, I just have to try to be a super Christian every day. What that doesn't mean is, hey, listen, like I actually really want to cuss you out, but but I'm going to quote scripture verses underneath my breath, like until I get over the moment that I'm in. No, this is not what we're talking about. But there's real power. There's real life. There's actually something transformative happening on the inside as we become more sensitive to the work of the Spirit and learn to partner with the grace that God has given to yield to the work that is happening on the inside. I believe one of the most important things that you can do in this season of your life is yield to whatever God is saying. 
Now, you see, that that's not a one-size-fits-all, right? James tells us if any man knows what he should do and he does not do that, then to him it is sin. But right now, the Spirit is at work in you, jealously trying to ready you to live forever on the other side of death. You see, just like Gabriel told Daniel, death is no longer to be seen as an enemy. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is talking about the mystery of the resurrection, he says, in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, we will be changed forever. He says, and what is mortal will become immortal. What was weak will become strong. What was fleshly and belonged to the earth and decaying and ultimately going to die and be judged, it will pass. And we will be glorified forever to be exalted with him, to rule forever alongside of him. However, <laughs> right now there is a work readying you for that. Because death is no longer an enemy. Paul writes, Oh, death, where is your sting? Quoting the psalmist out of 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your sting? For he says that Jesus has absorbed the sting of death. He has overcome it, conquered hell in the grave, and he is now alive on the other side of death right now as an eternal human. He says, oh, death, where is your sting? Meaning there is no more sting in death. Because death is no longer what destroys us. Death is now what transforms us. And so death has even become a tool in the hand of the Lord. And death is no longer an enemy. So we should not be bound by self-preservation. We should not be bound by a love of ourselves and a love of the world. Oh, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Praise God. There's more to that verse. Loving not their own lives, even when confronted with the consequence of death. Let me just encourage you. A people bound by self-preservation will never be the catalyst for revival in our day. A people who love the world the same way the world does will never be a catalyst for revival in our day. But the more that we learn to love him and the more the work of the spirit in us is bringing us into a more authentic, more genuine love for him, we should find a decreasing of the love of our own lives. Because when I love him, then he loves me. And I can only love him because he has first loved me. And as he has loved me, it has taken away the bondage of the pursuit of myself. I'm no longer a prisoner to the love of my own life because he has loved me and he has freed me and now I have been empowered to love him and not just myself loving not their own lives even in the face of the consequence of death hey listen Daniel you're gonna have to learn man like death is coming and if you're worried about death then you're never gonna be faithful fully right if you're worried about death then you're always gonna find some spiritual way to justify your compromise Right, listen, I'm telling you, like it would have been just, I, I could see it. I, I know that it would happen. Everybody would have been trying to DM John the Baptist. I'd be like, John, listen, bro, I get it. Like, you're the man, right? Like, you're burning. 
Like, we understand, like, bro, 30 years, 33 years out in the wilderness, just you and God, isolation, brokenness, the readying of the Lord. All of a sudden, John becomes visible to a whole region, Mark 1, 4. He didn't try to make himself seen, but God shined the light on him. And John erupts in the wilderness with an anthem. Behold the Lamb. And he's rebuking the mess out of Pharisees. He's given prophetic words and issuing judgments to kings and rulers. And I could have just seen it. Then he'd be like, John, listen, bro. Like, bro, listen. Hey, hold on, hold on, man. Hold on. We got to calm you down for a second. You cannot tell Herod what you're going to tell him. Bro, like I'm telling you, man, like you're anointed. Like, bro, we got a good thing going on. Like, bro, like we've been working hard trying to build our brand. Like, yo, we got people following now. Like, people are tracking with you, bro. Like, I understand. Like, we had a little blip over there by the Jordan the other day when, you know, a bunch of our followers left our gatherings to go to that Jesus guy. I mean, like, could you imagine? Like, but now we've got things under control again. But like, listen, man, like you cannot give him that word. And John ends up in prison. John ends up losing his head. You see, but when you develop a lifestyle of offering up your stomach continually, it readies you to offer your head in the moment if it's called for it. You see, I, I, I wonder sometimes when people are like, I would die for Jesus. You can't miss a meal for Jesus. You can't turn the TV off for Jesus. Like, what, what, what? But, but I, I understand, though, for some, it may be a whole lot easier to die for him in a moment because living for him as long as God gives us is kind of hard sometimes. So maybe for some of us, it would be a whole lot easier just to check out in a moment. Hey, I'll just give you this moment of devotion because I can prove it all right now in an instance. Because, man, like if you give me the next 30 years, like I understand, rather than dying once, I'm going to have to die 30,000 times over the next 30 years. So maybe it would be easier. Just take me now. And John ends up losing his head because he's unwilling to compromise to the pressure of even spiritual justification for the moment that God has readied him for. And Gabriel tells Daniel, listen, bro, it's coming. And we know the encounter happens. And then we find in chapter six that he gets the ordinance against him. They come to his house to find him. <laughs> He didn't just get to pray in private. He didn't just get to like not obey the pressure of the culture and not have anybody find out. They came to his house. The idea is they kicked in the door and they found him upstairs praying and they grabbed him and brought him before the king. <laughs> right, we have to understand that right now we're being readied for something that is far beyond the pressure of the moment. And right now, there's the work of the Spirit happening in your heart because there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return. He will come riding upon the clouds. He will appear in all of his Father's glory and authority, a host or a myriad of angels along with him, and he will come to recompense and to reward men. For the deeds that they did living in covenant loyalty to him. 
There's coming a moment when he will establish his throne physically upon the earth. And he will rule the universe from Jerusalem. And he will issue his judgments. And his judgments will not be momentary. They won't be for a season because his kingdom is unending. His dominion is eternal. And his judgments, Daniel sees in chapter 7, all of the wickedness and the corruption and the tyranny of the beasts that right now have jurisdiction to roam the earth. Paul said, while I was at Ephesus, I wrestled with wild beasts. Understand that there is a wrestling right now in this present reality because the fullness of what we are awaiting has not yet been established in the way that we know that it's coming, but Jesus is going to judge the beasts. He's going to judge every power. He's going to judge every principality. He's going to bring judgment to the world system. He's going to deconstruct all of the corruption. He's going to do away with all of the wickedness. He is going to evict creation of sin entirely because we are not fully saved and brought into the fullness of salvation until we are freed from the presence and the tyranny of sin itself. And this is what creation is groaning for and waiting for. We're waiting for the eviction of sin. And that will happen in a full way on that great day whenever Jesus returns. But it's happening right now on the inside of you. Right now, by the presence of God's spirit, he is bringing judgment to everything that is not going to be alive on the other side of death. Hear me, you take your surrender to the Lord as a casual thing. But we will be rewarded to the degree that we surrendered. We know it's not activity alone. Matthew 7 proves that point. There'll be many on that day. Many, that's Jesus, not me. There'll be many that said, hey man, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we work miracles? Didn't we raise the dead? And he'll say, yeah, you, like you guys, you had a lot going on, man. Like, you guys were amazing. I mean, I, I never knew you, but you guys, you had it going on. So we know it's not activity-based because we can have activity that's not baptized in surrender. <laughs> but we understand that we're going to be rewarded to the degree that we surrendered. And yet we take our surrender to the Lord as a casual thing. But it's our surrender to the work that is happening on the inside of us right now that is readying our lives to cross over through the tool of death to be alive with Jesus forever. And that work right now is attempting to bring judgment to everything that God in a full way is going to apply his righteousness and salvation to. There are things right now on the inside, little attitudes, little dispositions, Right, little things that we enjoy, and ah, it's not a big deal. Like, I mean, ah, whatever, bro. Like, there's a lot worse things happening in the world. What makes it a big deal? Anything he says is a big deal. <laughs> Anything he says is a big deal. For if any man knows what he should do, and if he does not do that, then to him it is sin. Right? Sin is the hardening of our heart away from surrendering to the leadership of this loving God. 
right? And right now, there is a work that is happening on the inside, attempting to prepare us to be alive on the other side of death. Hey, Daniel, listen, you're going to die. Be faithful until the end. Because God's going to be faithful to you. He's going to raise you from the dead. And you will enter into your reward at the end of the age. We have to begin to live for things that are ultimate and not just immediate. Jesus, in talking about the applause from the crowd to the man that was out praying, he says he already has his reward because that's what was motivating him. That's what he was after. Let me tell you, there's more to life than likes and followers and subscribers and bank accounts and politics. That there's more to be rewarded for than just the immediacy of all of what our culture and the crowd and whatever little category we're trying to fit our life so desperately into. But Daniel, again, is not being motivated by things that are connected to this moment in life. He's being motivated by being possessed with a vision of the age to come. And therefore, being free enough to be faithful to God throughout the rest of the moments of his life. Because when I understand and when my life gets possessed with a vision of the age to come, then I understand that there's more than the moment. And I'm no longer a prisoner to the immediate. But I'm free even from self-preservation. Again, loving not their own lives because we might not think that there would ever come a day when consequences for loving Jesus would ever come to our front door. But it's here. It's here. And we can be a Facebook Christian. We can be an Instagram Christian. But they're bringing it to the front door. And they brought it to Daniel's house. Daniel said, I'd rather lose my life than save it and lose my purpose. You see, I'd rather love him and love him well all the way to the end and fulfill my purpose, if that be it, than to be governed by this love of the world, this love of myself, this bondage, trying to protect my life and trying to preserve my life, being controlled by fear. Jesus says, respond to the gospel. I'll put my spirit in you. And the gospel is not begging people to get saved so that Jesus can give them a new car, a new house, a, a raise on their job, that boyfriend or girlfriend that they've always wanted. You see, if we actually understood the implications of the gospel, we wouldn't be begging anybody. <laughs> the implications of the gospel is that the world is broken and it is fading. There is a lot of corruption right now that has flooded the nations. And while we are here, we are a mercy offering from the Lord to bring an announcement, to be a herald, to ready the nations of the earth for the return of this king. Because when this king returns, there will be no more time to repent. So while there is time, you can still repent by responding to the announcement of this gospel, which is there is a king. He is the rightful ruler. He is going to reconcile all of creation. And that is a sure thing. You can take that to the bank and it is going to happen. Whether these are the real last days, these are my last days. And I'm trying to be faithful until the very end. And we are here in faithfulness to ready the world for the return of this king.
And Paul says, this is what we're groaning for. We're groaning because we realize that God has a purpose. Again, creation is groaning. But Paul says, not only creation. He says, while we're in this fleshly tent, we groan too. Because we know, man, like stuff is broken. Stuff is not right. But Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says there's coming a moment when God comes. He's going to return. And he's going to wipe every teary eye dry. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to abolish death forever. And he is going to dwell in the midst of a people that he has harvested from the nations. Every people, every tribe, every tongue, the bride, the prized possession, the inheritance for his beloved son that have been translated out of the kingdom or the domain of darkness and have been grafted in, translated over under the rule of the sun, the kingdom of brilliant, radiant light. We have been brought in face-to-face union with this beloved son by the work and the power of God's spirit. There is coming a day when God is going to return and he will make right everything that right now we know is wrong. But until then, he's deposited a groan on the inside of us. And we're groaning not to see our purpose fulfilled, but we're groaning to see his purpose fulfilled. It says even later on in Romans 8 that the spirit that is in us, Paul says, man, at times we don't even know what to pray. You don't even know how to pray. He says, but the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Not to preach better, not to lay hands on more people and to have fire come through our fingertips. But he says the spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray. The Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray. And with groanings, the Spirit is interceding for us. What? With groanings on the inside, the Spirit is interceding for us. Because the Spirit understands the mind of the Father. And the Spirit is praying in perfect alignment with the will of God. So creation is groaning, but I've got a groan on the inside because the spirit is jealously longing to see God's purposes fulfilled. And then Paul says that we too carry a groan. Because I know that there's more than this. You see, the Lord is going to establish revival hubs all over throughout the nations. It's going to be the fulfillment of Amos 9, 11, and 12 which says in those days, in the last days, there will be the reestablishment of the tent of David. And in those days, when the tent of David, when the tabernacle of David is reconstructed, in those days, I will have a people that I will have possessed with my spirit and they will make ministry to the Lord the main thing. And my son will become the main attraction and I will work in them and through them to ready the nations of the earth. And the byproduct of the reestablishment of the tabernacle of David is the harvesting of the Gentile nations of the world. Because when we make ministry to the Lord, the main thing, then we receive instructions on how to minister to the regions and the nations. And the Lord is going to establish revival hubs. And it's not going to be people 
that are criticizing, it's going to be people that are groaning. It's not going to be people that are complaining. It's going to be people that are groaning. It's not even going to be people that are out protesting. It's going to be people that are groaning. It's not going to be people that are politicking. It's going to be people that are groaning. You may have been doing all of the other things, but let me ask you this. Do you right now bear God's burden? And have you been gripped with the groan of God on the inside for the things that his heart is burning for to see established in the earth throughout the nations until the return of his son? And God is going to raise up these revival hubs. And they're going to be people like Acts 13 who make ministry to the Lord a way of life and not just a desperate remedy for the things that they may be facing in an immediate way. They're going to make ministry to the Lord a way of life. They are there in Acts 13, fasting, praying, worshiping, ministering to God. It crosses gift set. It crosses even individual streams. It says there at Antioch, there's a church. Now, it's sad because that church is the first church that comes out of Jerusalem that we hear about. But it took persecution to get there. Jesus tells them in Acts 1, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my laid down lovers. You're going to be a covenant community. But you're going to have real power. Stop asking me about times and dates. The spirit's coming. Quit worrying about the Romans. My spirit is coming. And you're going to receive power. You're going to have fire to be my witnesses, to be a living demonstration, a laid down lover, a martyr. And it will be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even unto the ends of the earth. Now, Acts 13 is the church in Antioch, and it's the first church that we hear about. And what's sad is that it, too, is an indictment because it took decades for the church to leave Jerusalem. It took the raising up of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. It took the raising up of a wicked man who started chasing down those who were a part of the way. And he authorized the jailing of Christians. He authorized the murdering of people in the ministry. <laughs> and it says that because the persecution that Saul put on the church, the church scattered. It's actually a shame that Saul is what got them to the region rather than the word that Jesus gave them to go to the region. <laughs> Jesus told them in Acts 1, I'm sending you. But it took the persecution of Saul, actually bringing it to their front door, putting them in jail, murdering them, even at the approval of the stoning of Stephen out in the streets. And the church goes to the region, and the first uprising, the first eruption we hear about is in Acts 13. And at Antioch, there's a church. And there's prophets and teachers. That's how you know God was doing something. <laughs> there's no more wildly different gift set. <laughs> but it wasn't, oh, I'm a part of the prophetic stream. Oh, you know what I, mean? I like more reform stuff. Oh, no, it's got to be word-based. There was prophets and teachers. And there was five guys, all of different ethnicities and backgrounds, you have a Jew, you have a Roman, you have an Ethiopian. Barnabas, Paul's there. Imagine that. <laughs> Lucius, Menaean. Five guys. They're there ministering to the Lord. But the language there is that it's a way of life. 
It's a way of life. And they made the main thing the main thing. And they're there fasting and praying together as a way of life, a community, a local representation, a body, a family, a church family, a local expression. They're together fasting, praying, worshiping, ministering to God. The reestablishment of the tent of David. Again, David made room for the ark. And he had thousands of worshipers day and night. But there in Acts 13, it crosses your individual streams. It's not about streams. It's about Jesus. It crosses all ethnic background because the wisdom of the cross has made way for the expression of one new man. We no longer identify by where you're from, the color of your skin, or the language that you speak. They're there worshiping and fasting and praying as a lifestyle. And it says that the Holy Ghost speaks and sets apart Barnabas and Saul. And they go with the Holy Ghost to harvest the Gentile nations from the region. It's the fulfillment of what Amos prophesied in Amos 9-11. And James reminds them of that in Acts 15 when they go to the council. Because Paul and Barnabas are on trial for all of the ways that the gospel is rocking the Gentile world. (laughs) And James says, wait, wait, wait. God has already spoken about this. Amos told us that this day would come. The tent is being restored. I want to invite you individually and corporately into the tent of meeting. I want to invite you into the tent of meeting. Because you're never going to catch God's groan while you're out wandering in the world. You've got to come into the tent. Because it's in the tent that he bears his heart. And I'm telling you, when you have access to his burden... When he pulls you in to the things that are on his heart. Could you not tarry with me just an hour longer? I'm looking for somebody to share my heart with. Should we share with Abram the things that we're getting ready to do in cities and regions? I'm I'm looking for someone. I'm longing for someone to pull in. Someone to share the burden that I'm jealous for. For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth looking for a man or a woman that would get into the gap on behalf of the land. But we know the sad part about Ezekiel 22.30 is that God found none. But I wonder tonight if there would be anybody here um, who would be willing to step into the tent to meet God and who would allow his burden to ruin your life. I, I don't know any other way to say it. For his burden to ruin your life. For all of the worldly things that at one point you might have thought were important. All of the glistening lights and the lesser lovers and the attractions all of the deceptions and the persuasions of the world's conversation, all of the things that we're living unto, that we deceive our own hearts into believing that they're things that Jesus really cares about, rather than them being things that we actually care about and we want him to care about as much as we do. You can't put a bumper, a Jesus bumper sticker on every runaway car. But I wonder if anybody tonight would be willing for God to give you his groan. Um, Because I'm telling you, nothing will ever be the same. It's not going to make things easy, and it's not going to make things neat. It's not going to be super cute. 
It's not going to fit into all of the cool photos on church pages and stuff like that. (laughs) But it's why he's at work in us. Paul says, while we're in this tent, we groan because we're longing for something. (laughs) We're aching to see something. Um, And this is what I believe I came for. I believe I came because God wants to share his groan with somebody. The deep travailings of the Lord. You, You don't hear much about travailing, about the painful ache in prayer, about lingering longer, about settling in, about digging deep. You hear more about all of this self-infatuation and all of this worldly ambition and all of the world system and its language and all of what it appreciates and the things that it applauds. But I believe tonight, man, God wants to do something in our heart that's going to wreck the rest of our life. going to wreck the rest of our life. Um, I believe that something is going to happen in our heart tonight if we would really open ourselves up to the Lord, um, where he's going to put a prayer in you, where he's going to increase your capacity to be able to house his groan, where he's going to do something in you to synergize or to align your burden with his to where we would cast off all of these immediate worldly things that so easily deceive us into conversations that belong to the world rather than belonging to the Lord, and that he would deposit on the inside of us his burden. I'm just going to ask you to stand all over the room if you would. And right there where you're standing, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. Um, Because we're not going to try to work something up. Um, Holy Ghost, I'm asking you right now to grip every heart. Would you blanket this place? Would you blanket this place? It's time to make the main thing the main thing. Right now, would you rush over every heart? Would you rush over every heart? There's a groan on the inside that belongs to the age to come. There's a groan on the inside. It belongs to a world that's perfect. There's a groan on the inside. I'm asking you right now to touch every heart. Yeah, if you pray in the Holy Ghost, would you just begin to just begin to pray in the Spirit? Yeah, if you don't pray in tongues, just be baptized right now. Yeah, if you have yet to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, just be baptized right now. No time like the present. 
John said, there's one coming after me that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Yeah, right now, Lord, I'm asking you to grant them a vision of the age to come. Fill them with the knowledge of God's will. Right now, take things that we've heard. Take things that maybe have just been mere information my whole life and touch my heart with fire and make it revelation right now. I pray for the opening of the door to a revelatory realm, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him to come upon you now by the power of the spirit. Come on, just keep praying in the spirit. Even if it's softly. Just keep praying in the spirit. <laughs> yeah, Lord, if you're looking for a people as a way of life, a revival hub, ministry unto the Lord. Establish the tent of meeting on the inside and then may we enter into it as a people, as a family. Yeah, Lord, I ask you right now, release your groan. Release your groan deep down on the inside. Break our hearts with your burden for the fulfillment of the age, the readying of the nations, the return of your son, the harvesting of every tribe, every tongue. Deposit your groan. Thank you for a real spirit impartation. Something that's not just an emotional high. Something that's not going to rub off after a couple of days. Deposit your groan on the inside and break the power of fear over every heart, over every mind. 
the tyranny of self-preservation, the taskmaster of self-preservation, crush its rule, dismantle its reign. Come on, don't relent now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the work of forever has already begun on the inside. Yeah, thank you, Lord. You're grown. Rekeanamamaye. More. Increase his capacity. Increase his capacity. Increase his capacity. Increase his capacity. Lay your hand on the person standing next to you and just continue to pray in the spirit. A greater capacity to house the grown. Travailing. 
Jason, take your place. Take your place. Settle in. And dig deep. Thank you, Lord, for the place on the wall. A greater groan. A greater groan.
going to pray something over you, and then I'm going to hand the microphone. Could you play something for me? I'm going to ask you to place your hand here on yourself. Ezekiel chapter 8 gives the description of corruption. It says, as I was sitting in my living room with the leaders of Judah, the hand of the Lord came on me. He said, I saw one who was radiant. He was burning. said he extended a hand in my direction and the hand of the Lord came on me and the spirit snatched me by my hair and ripped me up out of my body that's for everybody who always says like oh you can't trace that encounter back to the word <laughs> the spirit snatched me up out of my body and suspended me between the heavens and the earth and took me in spirit flight or travel to Jerusalem. And the Spirit began to show me the corruption that was happening with ministry leaders and different officials and different people that had responsibilities and titles. It says, as, as he was showing me these things, it says, that they turned to idols because they said in their own hearts, God has forgotten about us. He no longer cares. He's no longer looking. And he goes through a series of events where things keep getting worse and worse and worse. But then as it transitioned into chapter 9, as you keep reading, it says, then the glory of God began to rise says that the one dressed in linen arose and he received a command to go throughout the people and to mark those, this is Ezekiel 9.4, to mark those on their forehead. Not just any random person. There was something specific that he was looking for. He had received an, a command. Mark those weeping. Mark those that are groaning because of all of the detestable acts being done amongst the people in the nation. The Lord wasn't looking for giftedness. He was looking for the groaning. He wasn't looking for resumes. He was looking for tears. He said, go and mark a people Mark those who have tears in their eyes and who have a groan deep down because they bear my burden and they realize that things are broken and that we're wrestling right now in the tension until the return of this beautiful man that our hearts have been given to. 
He says, go through the people and look for those that have tears and those that have a groan. There may be a lot of things that you feel you have that you offer to the Lord. But I'm going to ask you as we close, and I'm just going to pray it over all of us, that if our tears or that if our eyes have been dry, <laughs> that they would become tear-filled again. That as we linger with him, as we become more sensitive to him and his heart and what he burns for, that it would literally burn us up and that we would be caught up with him with tear-filled eyes and that his burden, when it wrecks our lives, that we would have deposited on the inside his groan for the fulfilling of all things. He's groaning right now for the brokenness. He's groaning right now for men to come to repentance. He's groaning right now for the readying of the nations. He's groaning right now for the dismantling of the world's systems and powers and principalities. He's groaning right now for the releasing, for the return of his son that he loves, the ruler of the universe, the worthy one, the exalted one, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's groaning right now, but the question is, we know he is, but are we? So put your hand here. I'm just going to pray for us as we close. Lord, I ask you right now to deposit your burden on the inside. Deposit your burden on the inside. I don't want the world's burden. I don't want Fox News's burden. I don't want Wall Street's burden. I don't want Dr. Fauci's burden. I don't want a Republican burden, a Democrat burden, a political burden. I don't want rules and systems and the world's governance and constructs burden. Deposit your burden on the inside. May we be freed from the tyranny of self-love and the love of the world. Deposit your burden on the inside. We want your groan. And I'm praying right now, Holy Ghost, stir it up on the inside. Stir it up on the, only you can do it. Make it real. Make it real. Make it real and make it last. Make it real and make it last. Brand us forever. Brand us forever. I pray may we never be the same. I pray wake us through the night, get us up early, keep us throughout the day, turn our attention while we're in the car, grip us, captivate us while we're at work, fascinate us while we're cooking dinner. Renew our appetite for you. You can have it all, Lord. We cast our burdens upon you because we want your burden. We want your burden. I thank you, Lord, for a people here in this region that you can entrust yourself to. You can be yourself here. Have your way. And raise up a people as a way of life that will live in revival carrying the groan, being faithful to steward the burden of your heart. If you're looking, Lord, look no farther. I pray, Lord, raise up lovers in this region. Raise up lovers in this region. 
exalted. You are worthy of such a people.
beckon you to fully give yourself to the invitation that was extended tonight. There is no impartation for this. This is a decision. And I just, I just feel like he's just looking for someone to trust. I don't know if you get that. He's just looking for someone to trust. So, Father, we declare in our region, the Lamb will receive the reward for His suffering. The Lamb will receive the reward for His suffering. And His suffering was not for ministry, or to build a big church, or for us to be seen. Lamb will receive the reward for his suffering. I don't know what that looks like for you, but it has to look like something. Father, give us the grace. Give us the grace to rearrange our lives around your presence. Would you destroy our idols? We hear your call like Moses. Let all those who are for the Lord come. We come. And we declare let every lesser lover die. You don't even have to understand what that language is. Your, your spirit can just say yes. Father, you can have back your churches. They're yours. 
would you become the great shepherd again? We thank you for the gift of tears. Oh, you have freed us. You have freed us from worrying about what man thinks about us. Oh, there's no fear of man. You have freed us from the fear of man. And in this place, we live for an audience of one. So God, mark us every part of our life. I don't want to live for you just here. Tomorrow morning, I have to wake up and I want to live for you. And Monday morning, live for you. So Father, let our lives display your glory more in the private place than in the public ones. Would you build character and integrity, the cuss words of the Christian church. Would you build integrity and character and purity in us? Would you clean the inside of the cup? Oh, Lord, I know it doesn't get as many amens. But knowing the truth sets us free. So we repent. And we declare that your leadership is perfect. <laughs> your leadership is perfect. I want to end, I just really feel led to pray for the pastors in the room. So is, is, if there's pastors in the room, I know there's one in the back from Atlanta. Who else is here? Yeah, any can you just raise your hand if you're a pastor or a minister? I just want to pray. Can we just, I just want to pray. Can I get some of my leaders to just come around them? Hey, Rick, will you find somebody? We just want to pray. Pastor Crane, yeah, and Pastor Merritt. Keep your hand up until somebody comes. There's one right here, right here. Can I get some of my team? Father, right now in Jesus' name, we come into agreement and we declare life in greater measure. God, we thank you for what you've done, for what you've done, but God, we're believing for more. We're believing for more. Would you stir hunger? Would you stir hunger? Would you stir hunger? Would you move spirits and stir hearts, God? Would you awaken your bride, God? Would you send the errands and the hers? Would you give new and fresh vision, God? For those, God, that have been laboring, we declare they do not labor in vain, but you will establish your house. Also, Father, I ask that as their word goes forth, that it would be like fire, that it would be like fire, that it would be like fire. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, you're faithful. You're faithful. Would you do it again? the things we've read about in books, the things we've longed for, would you do it again? Would you do it again? Why not here, why not now? Why not here, why not now? Would you release greater power and greater anointing and greater outpouring and we speak against the spirit of discouragement and we bind it in Jesus' name and we speak clarity. We speak clarity in places where it's been muddy and you haven't been able to see. We speak clarity. Oh, and rest. Rest over your spirit. Rest over your soul. True rest. The Bible is clear. We were to work hard to enter into rest. So we ask that we would enter into your Sabbath rest. Oh, Ramama.
Jesus, we need more lights. We need more lights, God. Oh, would you grip us in the night? Would you grip us in the night? Oh, would you grip us in the night? Would you become more real than the air that we breathe? Oh, we throw away strategies and tactics and plans, God, and we yield to you, Holy Spirit. Oh, we yield to you, Holy Spirit. I thank you. I thank you that the laborers do not labor in vain. They do not labor in vain. They do not labor in vain. We bless them. We bless them right now in Jesus' name. Every church, we bless them and we cover them. We bless them and we cover them. And we thank you, Father, for the leadership of every church. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Wind of God, would you blow? Would you blow? Would you blow? Would you blow? Let it be a sound like an ax too. Let it be a sound. Let it be a sound. Oh. Father, we ask that you would release the spirit of burning. The spirit of burning. We give ourselves. We give ourselves. Father, I pray for every person here that you would seal that you would seal every work that was done tonight. Oh, we love you. Oh, you should tell them you love them. I love you. Oh, I love you. We adore you. Oh, there's none like you. Oh, there's none like you. We honor you, Father. Oh, Father, we pray for burning ones. And we ask, God, that you would do more. <laughs> that you would do more, Father. I thank you that you've raised them up like a trumpet in this hour to sound the alarm. Father, I ask that you would keep his family. I thank you that they will lack for no thing. For no thing, God. And we ask for more open doors. We thank you for the voice in the wilderness. We thank you for people that have gone into the furnace to be refined and that we get to be a part of that. We honor them. We honor them. We honor them. And we thank you for their voice. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Wow. Can we give Michael Dow a hand? Thank the Lord.